Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Driving Theology. This is Mike, and it is a beautiful day here. Beautiful. We've had a lot of rain this fall, which is, I don't know, I feel like it's been more than usual, even though perhaps we've had fewer typhoons, which is great, uh, but it feels like we've just had more rain than we usually get. Well, today is pretty gusty, pretty windy, uh, but I'm on my way to work as usual and uh, sharing my ride with you guys. Um, man, what's been going on? So we are weeks away from uh, the U.S. election of November 3rd, uh, a couple weeks away from Halloween, a couple weeks away from my friend's vision quest, Pat, who's going to be doing that. I hope to get him on a podcast maybe this next weekend uh, discussing his vision quest, which would be great. Um, <clears throat> And yeah, I had another uh, rehearsal uh, at the uh, hall this last week on the Schubert's. Uh, Schubert's kind of, I haven't been pursuing it quite as uh, vigorously as I did toward the beginning. Um, maybe because uh, all of my college classes started up again and I actually got extra college classes because some teachers refused to to come to school to teach because of COVID-19 worries. So I have extra an extra class, extra university class that I had to uh, take up quickly. So, you know, life's just gotten busier um, than it was a couple months ago, I guess. Uh, so I had started the Schubert in a time when I didn't have my college classes while they were on summer break. And so had a lot more time to devote to that. And you may have noticed my voice is a little uh, lower or rougher than usual. Yeah, I've come down with something. Um, feels like a <clears throat> kind of a light bronchitis is my guess. Something like that. I was going to try to get to the doctor this morning to get that checked out. <clears throat> but uh, I could not get a reservation. And so I'm going to go to work instead. And uh, yeah, I know it sounds bad. But uh, I don't have any of the loss of taste or, or there's no fever with this. It's just a, a little, uh, a little um, congestion in my chest. That's, that's all that it is. Uh, but yeah, I'd like to get to the doctor just, just in case it gets worse. But morning's always the worst part. Uh, after a couple hours in the morning, it kind of works its way out, I guess. I'm fine the rest of the day, more or less. <clears throat> Just got a little wheezing. <sighs> Which I could have uh, a little asthma, so it's also a worry. I think the doctors have thrown that possibility around before, but hopefully not. Hopefully not. I feel otherwise fine. I'm keeping up with my ex exercise regimen. Um, although I'm sleeping more. Uh, last night I went to sleep at probably around 10.30. Probably sleep by 11, but I 
slept through like 7.30, which is pretty late for me. And I've been doing that several nights in a row, <clears throat> getting lots of sleep. Of course, I'm taking this, um, I keep thinking it's melatonin. Maybe it is melatonin. Uh, taking this uh, melatonin. I don't think that's right. Anyway, whatever the uh, um, chemical in your brain uh, that is produced uh, toward the evening uh, when you're not exposed to, it, to as much light, it calms you down and prepares you for sleep. And I think it's melatonin. It's something like that. I always get those things mixed up. Um, yeah, so, of course, that helps me sleep deeper and perhaps longer, which is great. Uh, but yeah, it's funny, you know, I'm, I'm a person who is really mood-wise affected by the weather. Um, and it, it becomes a physical thing with me too. Like if the weather is really dark and overcast and, and, uh, you know, the pressure is up, I feel headaches pretty easily and I feel more fatigue. But on a day like this, man, when the when the weather's nice, it's sunny, it's dry, um, I I just perk up. And uh, I think a lot of people do. I think uh, sunny days just make us feel happier. It's the old song. Is it sunny days makes me feel fine? Da 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 da. I can't sing right now because my voice is just messed up from this whatever's going on um but yeah <clears throat> there it is there it is um so what was I talking about yeah so I sleep really well I uh, slept really well the last couple nights um and I think it may be the the temperature is a little bit cooler right um less humid Although apparently the rain's coming back tomorrow. But hey, let's enjoy this day today. <clears throat> we can do that. Uh, yeah, so the election, different things are coming up. Uh, my friend's Vision Quest is getting closer. I've been reading a lot uh, of this Vision Quest book every night. Uh, and I'm deep into the... Um, what do you call it? Experiences of different vision questers. Uh, the book has uh, vast pages, or a lot of the a lot of the uh, pages are dedicated to the actual journals of people who have vision quested and their experiences. And it's pretty fascinating the uh, the variety of experiences that people have. actually driving with my coffee cup in my hand today because <clears throat> it's a normal coffee mug I left my travel cup in my car anyway uh, I guess I'll do a coffee check since it's in my hand uh, we have started roasting this new Nicaragua Casablanca uh, coffee which is this is the very first roast we've ever tried it turned out really good yeah Roasted it to a medium roast, about 2.13, uh, in about maybe 11, 
uh, minutes on our roaster. Uh, every roaster is different. That's why I say on, on our roaster, um, other roasters, uh, thermocouples are, anyway, they all work differently. Um, accuracy is a um, <laughs> general term when it comes to roaster temperatures, I've noticed. Anyway, it's a really good coffee. Uh, it's a little bit bright. It's got a, a fruity, fruity flavor to it, and we wanted to preserve that. That's why I did it on the light, on the medium side, not the dark side. Apparently, the longer, and I would say the darker that you roast coffees, uh, the more their natural flavors will be um, suppressed. Okay, and so the the faster and the lighter you roast the more natural flavors you're going to get out of each bean. The problem is not every bean has good natural flavors. And so you have to get to some kind of sweet spot where you, uh, if they have any unpleasant flavors, you suppress those while bringing out the, the good, the, the positive uh, natural flavors that you want to bring out, aromatics and whatnot. I think I just got lucky on this one. <clears throat> or it could turn out to be uh, even better if I roast it differently. That's possible too. Um, uh, we are looking at, at the coffee shop, we're looking at a new roaster. We would love to raise money to get. It would, it would really ex expand our capacity to roast. Um, we could roast more beans at one time and then, whoa, I just spilled my and then we could um, also be much more consistent in our roast. Consistency is a good thing to, to have when you roast coffee. Um, you have to kind of play with coffee in the beginning to get it to where you want it. And then you have this constant game of trying to make the roaster replicate that same roast by manipulating the level of gas, uh, air, and time uh, in the context of changing humidity, uh, changing temperature, uh, even wind, right, coming in and out of the coffee shop. Uh, in other words, the environment um, is going to have a say on how your roaster works on any given day. And so even if you make all the same moves at all the same times and all the right, all the same temperatures on Monday, doing that on Tuesday could, could produce a vastly different roast depending on the environment. Now, most, most uh, roasters uh, who are just roasters, they, of course, they control their environment. Uh, climate control is very important inside a roastery. But... Um, in a place like us, we are a very small cafe, right? And we have a small roaster inside the cafe, and that's part of our uh, our decor, right? Part of the charm, I think, of our uh, cafe is that we have this roaster right up front in the front window. You know, it's kind of one of the one of the ways that we draw people to us. Uh, it. It makes it <clears throat> nearly impossible to keep things consistent. 
uh, with our roaster because it's just it's just very exposed. Best way I can say that. Very exposed roaster. Um, <clears throat> so this new roaster we're looking at, uh, thanks to David Mills, my good friend down in Kanagawa who has a cafe, and he found this roaster and put me onto it. Uh, we're looking at it, and, and man, it would solve a lot of problems because it sort of has its own climate, climate control inside of itself uh, in two ways. One way is that it, it, uh, it has several layers, right, several layers to it uh, in order to insulate it from the outside temperature, right? And so it kind of is built in its own box automatically already, right? Uh, and then secondly, uh, it has a, a smart control. So if I were to put beans into the machine and roast a batch of beans, I would, the first batch, I would manually control it. In fact, I would manually control it, uh, you know, the temperature and the air and all of those things, I would control until I got the bean to where I wanted it to be. But once I get it to the profile that I like, uh, that profile is automatically saved. And the next time I put those beans in, I just tell the computer to follow that profile and it will make all the right uh, adjustments at all the right times uh, and have much better control uh, and uh, yeah, and, and will keep things much more consistent. And there, of course, there are going to be a few variables, but it will adjust, right? So let's say, let's say, for example, that the bean temperature itself is colder uh, than the day that I put it into this machine the first time and created the profile. So let's say it's five degrees colder. Uh, let's say it's January instead of October when I created the profile. Well, the computer is still going to make the adjustments. Uh, to get that bean to where it needs to be at the right time. So if it needs to increase the heat or incre increase the air, uh, it will still do that in order to make all things uh, all things even, I guess. And so what it would do is it would, it would mean less labor-intensive roasting for us. It would mean we could roast vastly more beans, almost... I'd say, I don't know, seven times more beans at a time than we currently are able to do. Uh, well, depending on the size of the roaster we get. Uh, and it will do it more consistently. And that all works out for uh, better, uh, a better experience at the cup of coffee, right? When the, uh, when the, when the, the mouth meets the coffee, right? And that's what we want. We want uh, we want the customers to have a, a better, more consistent, uh, high-level experience as they taste our coffee. Problem is, this roaster is expensive. This roaster is pricey um, compared to anything we've bought. It would be the single most expensive piece of equipment in our kitchen. And it may, our, our current roaster may already be, and it's nowhere near as expensive as this one probably will be. Uh, so, yeah, 
uh, we'd have to raise money somehow, and I don't know the best way to do that. Um, anyway, we, we, we shall see. Uh, we'll see how we uh, go about this. Uh, but that's something that's been on my mind and I've been looking at it. The other thing is that uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas is coming up, and that's an exciting time of year. And, man, we... <clears throat> I know a lot of us just want to get out of 2020 because um, it's been not a great year. Um, more bad news last week. I had a former student um, uh, take her own life. Um, I didn't know her well. You know, she was one of many students that I had. And I only remember having her in one class. Could have been two, at least one class last year, the year before. <laughs> I did not have her in class this year, but she, uh, you know, she was unable to secure a job um, so far. She's in her last year of school. She was in her last year of school. She's a senior. Her graduation was coming up, and she, um, seniors in Japan, I guess they can pretty much count on graduation, so they're able to uh, secure jobs before they even finish college, right? That's what they do. That's, that's kind of the way that, that the system works here. So in your senior year, you, you start beating the pavement trying to get a job so that when you do graduate, you go right into a job, right? That's the, that's, that's the culture here. Well, here it is October, and she had been a, unable to secure a job that she wanted to do you know, whatever, and that it happens, and especially since COVID-19, uh, I think the job market probably is even more competitive, and there are probably fewer jobs open, at least until some of this passes. Um, anyway, I guess she had put all of her eggs in that basket that uh, maybe she was, you know, feeling pressures from other places and other people, and uh, it was just too much for her, and she took her own life. Um, which is very sad. You know, it'd be hard for me to think of many things sadder than that. Uh, <clears throat> we, uh, in our class last night, we talked about... Uh, We've started Colossians, and last night was Colossians uh, chapter 1, uh, verses 15 to 20, which is maybe I would put it up against any other five verses in the entire uh, canon. Uh, maybe it's some of the densest, uh, most profound five scriptures anywhere. Um, And the, the purpose of those five, five scriptures seems to be to establish that Christ is preeminent in heaven and on earth. That there is no one with more authority than Christ himself. Uh, and so he spends about four verses making that point. And then in the fifth verse of that set, uh, verse 20, um, 
he says, and this, you know, basically, Christ uh, is preeminent, and therefore, he has reconciled all of creation, visible and invisible, right? Uh, both the heavens and the earth. He is reconciling all things uh, to himself by the blood of his cross. And it's a profound statement because <clears throat> in these five verses, it completely takes any responsibility for salvation off of us. We have no role, zero role, by these five verses in salvation. Salvation is the work that was done on the cross by Christ alone, the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth, and indeed created heaven and earth, that all authority is his. Um, <clears throat> this is huge, right? This means that the power of the cross is such that Christ was able to reconcile all things to himself. That there is nothing now on earth, visible or invisible, whether on earth or in the heavens, there is nothing that has not been reconciled to him. He has recon reconciled all things to himself by the blood of his cross. Now, you, you know me. Uh, I don't I don't see this event as a magical event as much as a uh, relevatory event. In other words, I believe the cross revealed um, the character of God, which is that um, that He's always been this God, that He's never held the sins of mankind against them. That yes. Uh, Indeed, the history of man with God is, is complex uh, and um, difficult to discern. At times that, that we have often mistake, mistaken uh, God's intentions for us. And I think that the Old Testament largely is a history of our mistaken theology. And then Jesus comes uh, and resolves that. Right, he 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 makes the uh, the final reveal. Right, he reveals the final uh, picture of who God is, and that's just like Jesus. Right, and that's how that's how this uh, um, this passage opens up. In fact, it says that Christ uh, he is the image of the invisible God. I can't remember if it says the perfect image of the invisible God, but um, it says he is the image of the invisible God. All right. In other words, uh, if you see him, you see God, right? Uh, and that's <clears throat> that's amazing, right? That's beautiful. That's great. Um, 
what else would we want, right? That God comes once and for all in the, in the body of a man, uh, someone that we can relate to. Yeah, so here's the scripture. Uh, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So, so he's, he's making the case, and this would be important to especially uh, Jewish Christians who had an idea of who God was, He's making the case, first of all, that Jesus Christ contains the full authority of God. Not only the full authority, but the full identity. The fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. Right? And this is important, right? Because if you don't believe that the full, of, full authority of God exists in Christ, then you can't trust the blood of his cross to completely reconcile you to God. Right? You might think, well, if the fullness of God does not uh, exist in Christ, then maybe what Christ did was not what God wanted completely. Maybe something was left out. Right? Um, but for you to trust completely in the blood of the cross of Christ you need to know that he had the full authority of God the creator and Paul goes even farther he says not only did he have the full authority of God the creator he was the creator God in fact he was he existed before all things were created he starts this passage by saying he is the firstborn right now, the firstborn of all creation. I'm not sure exactly what to make of this because I don't believe that Jesus was created. I believe that, that Jesus Christ, being God himself, has always existed. So trying to, again, realize that all of these things are metaphors in a sense, right? Uh, what, what would Paul be saying about the, the idea of firstborn? And I think, number one, what he's saying is that he is the heir, right? The legal heir. He is an extension of God, just like the firstborn son uh, of a man uh, would have the full authority of the father. So Jesus has the full authority of God that he is he is preeminent and remember we're still dealing with this this twofold idea of who Christ was right both man and God um, and I think these these words like firstborn uh, are helpful 
to help us bridge the idea of, of what um, the relationship between uh, God and, and Jesus might be, right? And, and I'll think, I don't think we ever quite get there. Uh, but here he says, number one, he is the firstborn of all creation. And then just a few verses later he says, uh, he is the firstborn from the grave, or firstborn from the dead, which is talking about his resurrection, right? And resurrection points toward reconciliation, okay? Resurrection and reconciliation are, are connected, right? They are intertwined. Uh, in fact, I don't think we could have one without the other. Reconciliation. Reconciliation is a kind of resurrection. Um, so Jesus is both the firstborn of creation, firstborn of creation, right? Which establishes him of having uh, authority, God's authority. He's God's firstborn. And he's the firstborn from the dead, which means he has the authority of the firstborn of mankind from the dead. He's the first reconciled human being as well, right? This, I, I didn't get to this last night. I, I didn't see this last night, but this establishes him uh, as both preeminent in heaven and preeminent on earth. He is the first reconciled human being because he's the first resurrected. And he promises that we will all be resurrected with him, and, and in some sense, we have all been resurrected with him already, right? We were resurrected with him. Um, and so all of this to establish that, that, that Christ is preeminent, that he is equal with God, and he is preeminent amongst humans, and that we can trust in the blood of his cross, that it has reconciled us with God. Right? There, there, we need not have any doubt that his work will have its effect. Uh, it's a pretty, like I said, it's a pretty dense piece of scripture, and, and, and the stuff that follows doesn't necessarily get easier. <clears throat> because in some ways, we start to, uh, it starts to look like Paul is backtracking a little bit on what he says here. But that's only if you don't recognize that that salvation, right? That salvation is not just a concept for after you die. That salvation is something that happens to you now as you uh, recognize your reconciliation and as you trust in the blood of the cross of Christ and you you enter into the kingdom of heaven, you are saved now and you can bring other people to be saved now. But this does not have any bearing on final salvation. You know, whatever that looks like to you, uh, people call it judgment and, and heaven uh, and, you know, the last day and, and all of these things, right? Whatever the culminating events look, to, look like to you, Salvation is not only about what happens after you die. People need to be saved now. Right? And by bringing them into the kingdom, 
we can do two things. We can alleviate their suffering. We can give them hope. We can give them a home. Uh, we can give them a family. We can give them reconciliation. We can take away their fear. We can fill them with love. Right? We can alleviate suffering, and that is salvation. Right? We can give people belonging. We can fix their relationship between them and God, and them and mankind, and them and the earth. Right? We can alleviate suffering, and that's salvation, and that can happen now in this life. But the final salvation, it seems to me, that in verse 20... That's already wrapped up. That's a done deal. That's part and parcel to what Jesus did on the cross. Final salvation has little to do with the salvation that you can receive here on earth. Right? Um, why, why, why would we go to the trouble to live a good life now if, if we are all going to be accepted in the end of time anyway. Sorry, I'm shaking my, uh, shaking up my protein, which I need to drink here before I head into my class. Um, <clears throat> why in the world would we worry about that? <laughs> it's because our Father right? Through Christ, revealed through Christ, that's his personality. And in fact, the image that he has placed in you, the spirit that he has given you, is of that same spirit, that same gentle, loving, caring, forgiving spirit is in each one of us, I believe. And that that's just our character. It's not, it's not about, uh, it's not about that we have to do it to get to get saved. It's not this transactional Christianity that has so poisoned uh, the church. It's just that when you are filled with the image of your Father, and as that image uh, in you is recognized and revealed and nurtured, that's just the way you're going to live your life. You will be a child of your father as you as you see your father inside of you it's just who you are it's not it's not about transactional it's not about you know do a b and c so i can get d e and f right it's that that's the nature of god and when we acknowledge the nature of God in us, then those are the fruits of the Spirit that will will come through, right? It's just it's just how it is. Uh, yeah, I want to do this differently. Let's see. Um, transactional Christianity is just poisonous. We all, uh, if you've been a Christian very long, you've all been touched by it. We've all been affected by transactional Christianity. Of this I am certain. Sorry. 
time parking my car this morning. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, so. Wow, there's like no traffic this morning. I got here more fast. Which is great. The value of doing good in the world is not that you are going to somehow receive salvation because you did it. You're not being saved from hell. You're being saved into the kingdom of God so that you can help alleviate the suffering of the world and reflect the personality, reflect the image of God back into the world. It's not transactional. It's your birthright. It's who you are. It's your identity. If you are in Christ, then we will start exhibiting the fruits of the Spirit. And the more you are exhibiting the fruits of the Spirit in your life, the more comfortable you are becoming with the image of God in your heart. Right? It's about reflecting. It's about acknowledging the image of God in us. Um, well, I'm going to have to wrap up here. And I hope you guys got something out of this today. Um, I hope you can feel assured of your salvation and, and realize that the good that you do in the world is not to earn some... Sorry, some loud buzzing. It's not to earn your salvation. It's just simply because you you have been transformed more, more and more into the image of Christ, and that that's just becoming your identity. All right, thanks a lot. Love you guys. Bye.